I, I don't know about you, I'm loving this series from Philippians. It's just, it's fun to kind of go through and to th- think about the dream that God has for us in our life. If you've got your Bibles, turn to chapter 2. Last week, Chris shared from the beginning of chapter 2 this concept that Jesus, even though um, in his nature he was just like God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead he made himself nothing, he, he humbled himself, became a servant. And um, that, that God has this dream for us that's maybe way different than our dream. And that in that dream that he has for us, we're, we're making a difference. We're serving others. We're serving in humility in a cool way. Um, right out of that passage, Paul starts in chapter 2, verse 12, and says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I, w- I want to share really just four concepts about, about the dream that God has for us from this passage of Scripture. I hope that you can kind of take those, live with them, digest them this week, and that God's Word will just speak um, over and over again in these four areas. The first is this. It's a challenge that, that Paul gives to the church in Philippi this church that he, had, that he loved tremendously, that he had invested so much in, he said, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live consistently. He says, the way that you acted when I was with you, I want you to act that way all the time. Even though I'm in prison, even though I'm, I'm thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away in Rome, um, you know what? Don't let your behavior change based on who you're with. Now, does that happen with anybody that your behavior changes depending upon where you are? Um, the, the, the best illustration for me that I could come up with that was to go back to the high school days, right? You'd walk into a class and your, and your teacher in your class would have this routine that have a system of discipline that was great. You knew what you were going to do. I can remember one specific teacher. The bell would ring. Everybody would be in the class. First words he'd say would be, Number one, which meant that you were supposed to be at your desk with your paper out and ready to take a quiz because he was given a pop quiz that day. Um, there was this sense of expectation. He knew what, what you were to do. We knew what the deal was in his classroom, and it, it, life was good. Everything was consistent. We were that way all the time. But then would come a day when the teacher is absent and has a substitute. Remember those days? Some of you who are teachers... <laughs> You, you recognize what happens when, when, when that happens. All of a sudden, there's a new sheriff in town, and the rules are out the window, and it's crazy. And kids who were well-behaved in class with their regular teacher, all of a sudden are doing stuff that's, that seems to be completely uncharacteristic of them the rest of the time. That's that inconsistency. How about if you think back to when the, the time maybe when you were a, a teenager, or maybe even now, 
You have kind of one set of routine, one set of stuff that you do. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in your life that you respect. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it's, maybe it's your boss. And all of a sudden, your behavior changes because of the presence of that person. And we're not living the same. We're living inconsistently. One of the things that's been interesting for me being a, a minister, a pastor for the last 35 years or so, is when I go see some, someone in a context other than church, it's not unusual for, um, for the person to kind of be uncomfortable. And um, we're having a conversation, all of a sudden a word flies, and, and oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, anybody experienced that even as a Christian, that, you know, you go someplace and, and everything changes? Um, I, I appreciate that concern. As a matter of fact, I, I used this illustration first service, and in between services, I had a conversation with somebody out in the lobby, and they let a word fly, and they said, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. Um, the, the challenge for us is to live consistently regardless of who, we, who we're with, right? And that consistency happens because of internal motivation, not external motivation, um, if, if our behavior is curbed based on who's there or what the rules are, what the structures are, our heart's not really being changed, right? But if our heart is changed, our behavior is going to be consistent seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That's the challenge. And, and so Paul says to the church in Philippi, the way that you've acted when I was with you, man, keep it up. You were rocking it. You were living for Jesus in such a cool way. It was so incredible to see you take steps and to follow Jesus, to allow Jesus to have complete control of your life. Even though I'm so far away now and in prison, don't let it stop. Keep it going. And he says, he says this then. That leads into, uh, into this phrase, uh, much more in my, uh, as you, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Second thing that I want you to take with this is to, is to live every day with eternity in mind. To live every day with this eternal perspective in terms of what you do. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is a word that just simply describes the act of being saved. And that may be terminology that you only hear in church. The easiest thing to do is to think, you know what, at one point in time, you were a slave to one set of behaviors. And God rescued you. He saved you from that path from that life. He changed you. And, and Paul says some, something interesting. He says, work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Important to know a couple things. Salvation is something that for us has happened in the past. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, it's by grace that you were saved through faith, not of works that anyone should boast. It's the free gift of God. That's something that's happened in the past. God has done that work in us. He saved us if we've allowed Jesus to come into our lives to have complete control. But it, Paul writes to the Romans too, and he says uh, to the church in Rome, he says, um, salvation is nearer to us now than on the day that we first believed. 
There's this sense of future salvation that comes for us too. That when we stand in eternity and see God for the first time, when we uh, are in the presence of Jesus, that's when salvation will be complete. It'll be a, it'll be a fully done deal, fully realized. There, nothing will change. So it's happened in the past, and we're looking forward to that experience in the future, but we're living in this, in this world in between where Paul says, work out that salvation with fear and trembling. What's, what's that mean? Um, I, think, I think it's important to recognize, well, it, it's, it's a question that for all of us, wait a second, does that mean that if I'm in this place that I can lose what happened in the past? That, can I walk away from, from Jesus? Can I lose that relationship? It's important for you to know Bible scholars have lots of different kinds of perspectives on that. And that's not my message today. I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to go there, but I want to encourage you and challenge you to study that idea, that concept of what our salvation looks like on a daily basis. Um, it may be that you've studied a lot about that and you've landed on a position you're able to articulate. You, you say, you know what, this is what Scripture says. I'm good with that. I, that's, that's great. It may be, on the other hand, that you're not sure about that. You've, you've heard this phrase that's, that's, that is once saved, always saved. You've, uh, you've heard this phrase, eternal security, and you're not sure exactly what that means or what you believe. I'm not going to tell you today what to believe. It's kind of like that video at the beginning of the message. I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, this is what you believe. Um, I want to encourage you to read scripture and to pray and to study to try and figure that out. Read scripture and pray and study. Don't just say, oh, the pastor thinks this, my life group leader says that, that's what, so that's what I think. Make sure that you go through that process of searching the scriptures. But let me say this, an earthly father or mother don't sever their relationship with their son or daughter based on that son or daughter's behavior. Earthly mom and dad, they love their kids even even if that kid may reject them, even if that kid may um, do something that's hurtful to them, parents are still going to love their kids. And God is the perfect father. But it's clear from this passage that we need to approach our relationship with Jesus with a tremendous amount of seriousness and care. That phrase, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's that, what's that fear and trembling about? What's that feel like? Do you, can you recall a time in your life when you had a pocket full of cash? Uh, uh, like a way disproportionate amount than you usually carry. You're carrying around maybe hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. When you're in that place, what's going on in you? Your awareness is heightened immensely because you're looking, are there any bad guys? I've got to be really careful because the seriousness of what I'm carrying around on my person, I've got to accomplish my job faithfully. Do you remember what it was like when you, when you brought your child home from the hospital when they were born? You've got this little tiny baby 
I remember, I, re- I remember driving home with Leah, our firstborn, from the hospital and thinking, that guy's too close. You're going too fast. Uh, you know, doing everything to try and protect that brand new baby. That's that sense of fear and trembling. Maybe for you, it's you're going into a, to a meeting with your boss or with investors and you recognize that the presentation that you're going to make in the next 15 minutes, it has the ability to radically change your life. And you go into that presentation with this sense of fear and trembling. That you recognize that the consequences are, of what is at stake are so tremendously high that you want to make sure that, you're, that you've done your due diligence, that you've done your homework, that you've got all the questions answered, that you're able to communicate powerfully. That's the concept that Paul says, you know what, you've got to live consistently. That salvation that you've experienced through Jesus... It's, it's a big deal, and we cannot be nonchalant. We cannot be blasé. We cannot treat our relationship with Jesus as something that's just casual and it's no big deal at all. It's a serious thing that we've got to guard and treasure, that we've got to, we've got to allow God to continue to work in our heart so that we can having experienced the salvation that comes through Jesus at the cross, that we can stand before him eternally and say, God, I'm yours completely. Third thought from this passage for me is is this. It's that God calls us to live a radically different dream. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Have you ever noticed that when you're sitting around with a, gr- with a group of people, when somebody starts to complain, it spirals really rapidly and everybody's complaining about everything else that's going on? Paul says we live in this crooked and twisted generation. We live in a, in a time when the world is really messed up. And here's the challenge for you. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And when you do that, you'll shine like lights. You'll be so radically different from the world that it will draw people to Jesus. Um, Paul says, if if you go back to the beginning of of chapter 2, he says, if we have the same mind as Christ, if we understand the humility that Jesus took upon himself, and that defines our approach to life, if we see the world the way that Jesus did, if we see God for who he is, why do we grumble and complain? Why do we have this attitude of selfishness, of entitlement? That's where grumbling and complaining comes from, right? It comes because we don't like our environment. We don't like our circumstances. We don't like the way we're being treated. We don't like that we're being inconvenienced. And so we grumble and complain. Paul says, recognize that that attitude, that's not from God. God is the giver of every perfect and every good and perfect gift. God is the one who has blessed us with so much. God is the one who sustains us on a daily basis. Live a life of thanksgiving, not a life of grumbling and complaining. 
1988, George Bush, the first uh, President 41, George Bush, in his, in his campaign, in his acceptance of the nomination uh, at the Republican National Convention, he talked about thousand points of light. Do you remember that? He talked about this concept that around the country there would be these communities and activities that would be these little shining bursts of light in that community that would transform the nation. That's, that's the picture that Paul says. When you live your life without grumbling or complaining, you shine like a star in the dark night. Jesus said a city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. She said you don't, you don't light a lamp and then cover it with a jar or a, or a bushel. The light's there to, to um, expose its light in the darkness. And that's what happens when we live without grumbling or complaining. God's dream is that we would be blameless and pure. If you think back and you heard that, the message the first week of this series, that's God's dream for us. When we talk about living the dream, it's, God's dream for us is that we would live blameless and pure lives for him. And, and part of how that's expressed is by getting rid of that grumbling and complaining. Last thing, the last, last point's this. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That, that scripture is from chapter 119, a few weeks ago's message. But this is that concept that's there when Paul says this, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad about that. I rejoice with you all that I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, we think, drink offering? What's that? A little bit of explanation is really, really helpful. In the Old Testament, the drink off, there were all kinds of offerings and sacrifices that were given to God. There were animals that were killed. Their blood was poured out. They were put on an altar and burned up to God. There were grain offerings that were given put on an altar and burnt to God. Both, both uh, grain offerings and animal offerings, there was a portion of that offering that was set aside for the priests, and it went to, to help um, meet the needs of the priests. But the drink offering was different in that a drink offering was wine that was taken, and it was just simply poured out on the altar. It was poured out on the meat or on the grain as it was burnt um, as a sacrifice to God. It was given back to him. It's interesting that that sacrifice, that, that drink offering, was not something that was initiated until the Israelites came into the promised land. And it was a reminder that God was the one who had given the victory to the Israelites. It was a reminder that God had brought them to a place of rest. And so when they poured out that offering, um, it was a reminder that everything that they had came from God. Uh, it was it was that they had taken something of value that God had given them and given it back to him. Now, it's funny because it seems to us like that's a waste, right? You, you've got this perfectly good wine and you're pouring it out. Uh, what's the purpose of that? God's not drinking it from the earth. But it, w it was this sense of obedience. It was an act of worship. Um, I thought, how can I illustrate that for us today? And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool? I could, you know, go to Meyer and buy a bottle of wine and pour it out and say, oh, yeah, this is an offering. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we live in a culture where liquid is so available to us. We routinely pour wine or pop or water down the drain, right? You have a party and you've got uh, half half uh, drunk cans of all kinds of stuff. You, you, we, just, we just do that routinely. It's no big deal. So I thought, how can I illustrate that? And I thought, 
This would make sense. See what that is? That's a $100 bill. And so you know, this is a legit $100 bill. All right, Marcy wants it. Um, this is the concept of the drink offering. <laughs> the, to burn up that $100 bill, I, I, I want so desperately to because, because it, would create, it would create a conversation where, where everyone would walk away and say, that was idiotic. Why did he do that? That's wasteful. That's bad stewardship. God gave him the $100 bill. Was that my $100 bill from the offering? You know, <laughs> um, it, 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 right? We would say that makes no sense at all. It's bad stewardship. It's um, God has given us resources that we're not deploying. That's stupid. That's silly. And yet that was the concept of the drink offering. I really want to burn that. <laughs> but... Here's the deal. I checked last night. It's against the law to burn currency. And I figured I couldn't really do that and have that um, work with the message on submission a few weeks ago that said obey the governmental authorities. So, so somebody actually gave me counterfeit money to, try, to burn, but I wanted, I wanted to actually use the piece. Here's the deal. Paul said, my life is a drink offering that's being poured out for you because of your faith. And I rejoice in that. Paul was saying, here's the deal. I recognize that I'm going to die, that I'm in prison, and God's going to take my life, and I'm okay with that. And he says, I want you to be okay with that too. To live is Christ. To die is gain. The challenge for us in, that last, in those last few verses of Scripture is to recognize that our life is not captured by what we experience here on earth. Our life is is built on a relationship with Jesus. I want to I finish and, and just ask you to do something very specific. And, and this is not a rhetorical, I, I'm asking you to do this, okay? I want you to think back to what your life was like before you knew Jesus. And I, wanna, I want you to think about what your life is like if you know Jesus now. Now, it may be that you grew up in the church that when you think back, you know, you're, ah, you're making me think back to like the time I was six or seven years old. Maybe this is a better question. What is it that God has saved you from? And what is it that God has saved you for? What are the, what are the characteristics in your life, those footholds of sin that Satan maybe still has, that Jesus died to free you from that? And if you would, this is what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to write down your story in maybe a total of six words. Two or three words that describe what God has saved you from. Maybe what your life was like before you knew Jesus. And two or three words that describe what God has saved you for. What he has brought you to. And I'd like for you to send those to me. You can do that right now if, if, if you want. My email addresses are up there if you've got electronic device and want to do that. If you want to post them on the, on the North Point Facebook page, that would be really cool. I'm, I'm asking you to do that because I want, I'd like to use those words, that contrast on Easter Sunday. 
I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to share the story of the power of the resurrection, what God has taken us from and what God has taken us to with the, with the, with the real-life stories. It, it may be that you're, it may be that you're what God has saved you from, and I, you know, maybe that's addiction or abuse. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's this this foothold of selfishness that's in you or ego or whatever it is. And God has instead saved you for this life of freedom and joy. Figure, figure out how to tell your story in maybe six words or less and shoot those to me. That, uh, I'd appreciate that so much. I want, I want to finish and, and just say, you may be here today and you're getting, you're getting this whole picture but maybe you've never experienced salvation that comes through Jesus. And, you, and you're not really sure how to do that. It really, it really is life-changing, but it's simple. It's to, it's to simply have a conversation with God and say, God, my life is not what I want it to be. It's a mess. I have continually made decisions that have separated me from you. And I want you to come in and fix me. I want you to come in and, and give me the life that you designed for me. I, I want you to transform me, to change the way I think. I want you to get rid of that grumbling, complaining heart and give me a spirit of thanksgiving. I want, to, I want to know and experience what salvation really is, what it means to be saved. Um, all you have to do is just tell him that. In the, in the first century in the New Testament, when people said yes to Jesus, to following Jesus, they, they took a step that communicated to themselves, it communicated to their family, it communicated to the church, it communicated to the Roman government that they were all in for Jesus. That step was baptism. They, they publicly said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If that's a step that you haven't taken, that you've not experienced salvation, maybe you've, you've not taken that step of, of baptism, I, w- I want to encourage you while we sing in just a second, come down and, and talk to me. And, um, and I would love to just help talk through that, have that conversation with you, help introduce you to Jesus, help you be able to, to pray and talk to him in that way, to allow him to come in and have complete control of your life. It may be that you are a follower of Jesus, and as we've kind of talked through the, the, this message today, that the Holy Spirit said, you know, that grumbly, complaining heart, that's you. That's you. You're not shining like a light. You're living the life that everybody else is living. And it may be that today you want to say, God, change me. Change the way I think. You can do that in your seats, but sometimes it's helpful to, to physically be involved in that process of talking to God. And I, I'd invite you when we sing to come down and um, just come down front and pray and talk to God about that. Ask him to do surgery on you, to change your heart, to transform you to do that. It may be that you came today and, and you've got something completely unrelated to maybe most of the message, but you're carrying this burden and you just really want to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Um, when we sing, come on down and do that. Talk to him and just put it back in his hands. Let him carry that. We're going to sing a song that, that I think just ties everything up in such an incredible way.
as we think about what it looks like, what it means to live the dream that God has for your lives. Let's stand together. Let's sing.